this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. So once a year, you go to the doctor, right? They take your blood pressure, maybe they prick your finger and they take a little blood and they give you a sense of your cholesterol level. Maybe if you go to one of those fancy healthcare facilities, they get you to run on a treadmill for a while, see how your heart's doing. You get a checkup. The same thing should be true of your business. When we look at your business through the Value Builder score, we're going to look at it through eight key drivers that acquirers care about. Whether you want to sell your business immediately or in 10, 20 years from now, these are the eight factors that business buyers care about. Knowing them now will help you maximize the value of your business going forward. Just go to valuebuilder.com and take the questionnaire. Ryan Dice is the co-founder of Digital Marketer. Along the way, they got the idea to build an event called the Traffic and Conversion Summit. That event took on a life of its own, eventually growing to more than 7,000 attendees, $5 million in revenue, when Ryan and his partners looked around and said, hey, maybe we've got a sellable company sitting within another company. He chose to separate out the Traffic and Conversion Summit as a going concern, a separate company, and sold it recently in a fantastic exit. There are so many lessons in this interview. I want you to get a pen and paper because you will not start stop scribbling. Uh, listen in the beginning to what Ryan went through when trying to raise money for a digital marketer, how many of the potential acquirers and investors were discounting his business because they didn't know what bucket to put it in. Such important advice there. Um, listen to the way Ryan thinks about his number, the way he clarified his the number he needed to get for his business with his partners, and how he used it in the negotiation. You'll notice he doesn't reveal it in the beginning, but chose to reveal it at the very end. He shares his own experience around a non-compete and when uh, and how to stick handle through requests to change the non-compete. He had one little tidbit on how to get your earnout structured so that you could actually achieve it. Such sage wisdom from Ryan. Here to tell you the rest of the story is Ryan Dice. Ryan Dice, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. So you own a company called Digital Marketer. Tell me about what you guys do. Sure. Digital Marketer is a training and e-learning company based out of Austin, Texas. A team of about 50, 60 folks. And uh, we primarily train small and medium-sized companies in how to be better at digital marketing. So that's what we do. We offer training, certifications, memberships, uh, until recently events. I think we'll get into that. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's, we basically teach people how to market better. So uh, if I'm a small business and, and I want to, you know, I've heard about SEO, search engine optimization, like, you know, my competitors are buying Google AdWords and I'm, I feel like I'm maybe falling behind. I could come to one of your events and learn, learn how to become a better marketer. Is that right? Yeah, you, you certainly could. I would encourage you, I mean, as a small business owner, um, to send somebody on your team, even yeah. if it isn't somebody with a marketing background, uh, I can tell you I'm, I have a marketing background. Obviously I'm the CEO of digital marketer founded the company. Um, I don't do marketing 
for the business anymore. I've got a team because man, it's gotten complicated. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I would say if you got somebody in your team who's a marketer, but maybe they're more traditional, or um, you know, just having somebody in customer care um, who just knows your customer, they know your product line, they're empathetic, and they you want to give them a shot, you know, train them. That, that's our recommendation. That's that's my big ad, admonition to small business owners. Got it. Excellent. So get the guys on your team or the guys and gals on your team to, to, to know this stuff. So what's the business model of digital marketer? I want to, I want to kind of get to the event in a second, but how do you, how does digital marketer, the company make the bulk of its money? So we're primarily a subscription uh, business. So our, our, if you're familiar with SaaS software as a service, um, you know, we're not traditional SaaS in that we're not selling software, but we are selling access to content via a software platform. So companies will pay anywhere from $49 a month up to $295 a month. Uh, and a lot of that is just how much content do you get access to and how many people on your team are able to get access to it. We also have enterprise offerings um, where it's more of an annual license. And that's for the companies who say, okay, we want access to your content and we want to put it maybe in, into their own platform or they want their own custom training area. But, but isn't, I mean, isn't Google like the ultimate, I mean, isn't everything free available on Google? Like, are you kind of competing with Google in a way? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of uh, information on how to do marketing out there for sure. Yeah. Um, YouTube has lots of great information and also has lots of awful information. Uh -huh. And so we find that people come to us because they only want the good stuff and they want to not have to filter through it. Because again, if you're a small business owner, how do you know if it's good or not? Sure. Um, so, you know, we, we're a brand that's been around for a while. We wrote the book on digital marketing, digital marketing for dummies, host large event. And so generally we're kind of trusted as a good uh, resource for it. What we hear from our customers time and time again, I think this is important for kind of anybody who's out there selling into a competitive space or you're selling into a space where maybe it's been commoditized, right? Because gosh, if anything's been commoditized, it's information. Yeah, said Google, sure. YouTube. Um, but what we hear is, you know, I don't want my people learning marketing from the same place they go to watch cat videos. You know, I don't want my people learning marketing from, you know, the same place where they go to, you know, because a lot of times marketing training will be bundled in with HR LMSs and stuff. But, you know, so you're going to learn marketing from the same group that's also going to teach you how to do pivot tables in Excel. Do they really know their stuff? So um, we've really carved out a space in we're an e-learning company that specializes in digital marketing, period we're not going to teach you leadership training. We're not going to, you know, really even get that much into sales. And I think people appreciate because there's so much clutter out there because there's so many, um, you know, rabbit trails, they appreciate that. Okay. This is my source for this thing. Um, and and that's who's, who's the we Ryan? Like, like, do you own a hundred percent of digital marketer? Do you have partners? Do you have private equity involved? Like what's the capital structure? Sure. I, I have business partners. Um, there it's me and two other partners in, in the company right now. And we're all, um, not quite, but call it equal partners. It's simple. We haven't raised any outside capital. So no, no private equity, um, in the company itself. No, you know, not really a ton of, we, we did a friends and family thing forever ago. So there's like, you know, a couple points distributed amongst people that we like and wanted their help, yeah. uh, kind of advisory type type things. But generally when I say we, I'm referring to my team. Because, I mean, I get to work, you know, the building I'm in right now, there's, like I said, 50, you know, 55 people running around who they do the work and they make me look smart. So, <laughs> um, I just get to take credit for all their good ideas and execution. Nice, nice. So, let's get into good ideas because along the way, you came up with the idea for 
a large scale summit. Talk to us about how that idea kind of came to fruition and, and maybe take us through the, the idea itself. Yeah, probably like a lot of the listeners who they find themselves in a business and they didn't necessarily intend to be there, you know, the accidental entrepreneur. So we decided that we were going to do an event because we saw other people doing marketing events and we didn't think their marketing event was very good. We felt like we could do a better job. I think a lot of people do that. You have an experience with a product or a service and you say, I could do that better. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, I would say mistake that we made is we'd go to these events, we'd take the amount that we spent on our ticket and we'd start counting the heads and go, they made a fortune. <laughs> now we had no idea what we were getting into in the events business. We didn't realize all the costs associated with, but, but by God, we were going to put on an event. So yeah, back then digital marketer, really the brand didn't exist. Okay. Um, the company existed under a different brand. The model was totally different. We weren't a subscription. We weren't really this. Now we're kind of that Netflix for marketers, you know, at the time, it was just kind of one-off trainings, one-off products, no real formation structure. This was over 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so we said, we're going to do an event. And so we advertised it and um, we're shocked that about 250 people showed up. We're even mm -hmm. more shocked when the bill from the hotel and everything else arrived and realized that we had, you know, lost a bunch of money. And oh, really? So, yeah. So when we realized we lost a bunch of money, we said, uh, you know, we should do, we should sell tickets to next year's event to pay for this year's event. Um, mm -hmm. Now, that's what some people might call a Ponzi scheme if you're not careful. We obviously weren't intending to do that. <laughs> we, we like to call it cash flow management here. Cash flow management, good, yes, yes, yes. So, um, but we're thinking, we're like, okay, we, got, we need to get paid today for yeah, something yeah. we're gonna do later because we got bills for today. And so, yeah, so I, I truly, had, the, had we not lost money off that first event, I don't think we would have done a second one. Because really? the only reason we did the second one is because we had to, yeah, because it was way harder, way more expensive, way more difficult, but now we're kind of in it to win it. We do the second year and things were a little bit better. Um, we got enthused. By the third year, it became clear that this was a thing. Over 800 attendees, wow. people loving it, bringing their friends back. Um, and really, it was at that third Traffic and Conversion Summit. That's the name of the event is Traffic and Conversion Summit. We're thinking, okay, what are the two things that every marketers need? Well, they need traffic and they need to convert that traffic. Ta-da. Um, that was, we didn't have to hire a branding agency to come up with that one. <laughs> but uh but Traffic and Conversion Summit, um, actually, it was then we realized this is a real business. This is a real thing. And it was uh, the third year at TNC that actually the digital marketer brand was born. Hmm. So we actually kind of leveraged this event to build the digital marketer brand. And then the digital marketer brand got bigger. And as a result, the event got bigger. So, you know, fast forward um, at our most recent event, we had around 7,000 attendees from that all over the world. That just blows my mind. That, we do a little event for my company and, and, you know, we get a couple hundred people out of it. It's a, you know, it's a big, big issue. Well, not an issue. It's a big project for us. But to get 7,000 people, it's just, that's a huge event. It is. And I've got a lot of help. Again, um, we have over uh, two, we have more temp workers and like part-time folks coming in to help with that event than we had attendees at the first one, if wow. that's any indication of this, you know, scale and scope. So yeah, it's a big deal. And, and that was part of the thing is th this event sort of, we started off just wanting to teach people marketing, right? Wanted to sell and one started off just selling eBooks and videos and stuff like that. Now all of a sudden we're hosting this annual event where it's this massive thing that brings basically everything else in the company to a screeching halt. Um, the budget for it is a couple million dollars a year, you know? So, yeah. so every time we do one of these events, it's requiring its own special insurance. It's just, 
it was getting scary. And we're trying to decide, what do we do? You know, it's too big to shut it down. Um, we, it's profitable now, very, very profitable at this point. Um, you know, do we scale it? Do we try to go international? Do we try to do multiple? Like, ah, I don't know. And, and so um, that, that's kind of where, that's where we were kind of, we, we wound up unintentionally in the event business. That's why I said kind of was an accidental entrepreneur as it related to, uh, to the event side. Yeah. Love it. So, so, th- so just to give you a sense right up to two thousand, well, the present day, you've got, uh, roughly 7,000 attendees. I think Richard Branson keynoted your last event, most recent event. Yeah. Richard is- Branson, Rachel Hollis. Yeah. We last event was a, was great. Yeah. Really, really, really great. How do you get guys like Richard Branson to come to an event? You pay them. <laughs> That's the reality. Um, yeah. You know, now what's cool. So, um, cause a lot of people say like, I've, I've fortunately over the, over the years have got to become friends with not like celebrities, but maybe like business type celebrities. Right. Mm-hmm. So Damon, John and I, for example, um, have got, got you know, we're, we're yeah. friends. Yeah, yeah, we're friends. And so if he's in Austin, we go and have dinner. He featured me in a couple of his books and, you know, we're buddies. Uh, same with Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Oh, Who sure. I, I think a lot of folks have come from, but people say, how did you, how'd you meet them? We paid them their <laughs> rate to come and speak at our event. And then when they showed up, we weren't weirdos and we offered value. I think all too often when it comes to meeting that next level person, everybody wants to figure out a shortcut in and, and, or they, they do the whole like, they, they meet them at an event and they kind of corner them and they ask that obnoxious like, what can I do for you? And the person, I don't even know you. you know, don't I'm put good. That on me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fine. You're yeah. the one who's got me cornered, weirdo. So yeah, I mean, so, you know, in that, in that particular case, it's just, you get, um, you know, you, we paid him his, his rate. Um, it, it's fun, you know, and so he arrived early and was backstage in the green room. My son was there. So I got this picture of my son chatting it up with Richard Branson. Oh, and, you know, and it, it, it's cool. I don't, I don't think, uh, Sir Richard and I are going to be, you know, best buds, you know, I don't think I'm going to be invited out to Necker Island, um, any, anytime soon. You never know. <laughs> but, but, you know, again, it, it's, it, it was, well, a are we talk, but I'm assuming, okay, so let's put a number on it. Does he publicize the number? Can we, can we talk about what he, what he charges? Uh, yeah, I can tell you he's, he is around a half a million dollars as the starting point. Right. Um, and there's ways to get it less if you're doing charity donations. Okay. But yeah. To get somebody like, like him coming, um, the big nut, you're, it, you know, you're not going to get him to show up for, for any less than a quarter million dollars and you're almost always going to pay more. And then there's travel, right. And all these other things. So, you know, yeah, for something like that, a half a million dollars, um, most folks, you know, to get a, a bigger name speaker, it's going to be a hundred grand when it's all said and done. Yeah, at least Sir Richard has his own planes, so that should work out. That should lower he the travel costs. He sold that company. You know, he sold I didn't it. even know that. Did he really? He sold Virgin. He sold, yeah, we had a conversation about that. He sold Virgin to Alaska. He's hoping to buy it back from him. So, I, yeah. Isn't that fun? I'm totally out of the loop. I didn't, I didn't realize that. That's, uh, that's terrible. That's a terrible admission. Well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> well, he could fly <laughs> Alaska. <laughs> the aviation M&A space. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, so let's get into the actual subject matter of selling a company because at some point you reached uh the decision that the traffic and conversion summit um was a sellable asset unto itself uh, separate from digital marketing maybe take me through your thinking there sure so we've been for for years we've been just saying what do we do with this event do we scale it what do we do um mm-hmm. And uh, so it it always this, what do we do question has been percolating for, you know, for years. And truly the idea of selling it, I never even, I was like, who's going to buy an event? 
an event isn't a business because for us it was almost like a product mm. we didn't think about it as its own business and that that in and of itself was a lesson right mm. how many how many other you know products or profit centers within your company really could be considered a business to somebody else because we yeah, didn't yeah. think about it and it wasn't until a buddy of mine sold his event so a buddy of mine he owned a, a similar event uh still does at least partly called affiliate summit hmm. and um so I see in the news affiliate summit has sold to clearing events. And so I thought that's cool. So I reached out to Sean, sent him an email. Hey man, congrats on sale. Didn't even know that that was happening. And uh, he was actually the one that said, you know, yeah, you should actually talk to these folks. They're looking at, at acquiring more events. And um, so I can't take credit for the idea. I knew that us owning it long-term completely wasn't going to be the best idea. So we were thinking about going and raising capital to go and, um, grow the event because we knew growing an event out of the cash flow of digital marketer was tough. We were kind of having to rob from our, you know, cash flow from the subscriptions to, to fund the event. And now if we're going to do it multiple times a year, this is going to get tough. So we thought, oh, let's just go and raise around. Let, let's look at, at going and raising some capital. And um, this was a better alternative. Let me just pause you there because I want to understand the, the cash flow because, because, Obviously, there's a difference between profit and loss and cash flow. It it sounds like, although at the end of the event, you know, the, a lot of money flew to the bottom, you know, fell to the bottom line. It was a profitable event. It wasn't necessarily cash flow positive throughout the year. In other words, you you had to lay out money in advance uh, to get speakers, to get venues signed up, et cetera. Correct. Yeah. I mean, so you take somebody like you know, a Branson, for example, um, sure. you're going to try to lock that person down six months in advance so you can actually leverage them in the advertising. Well, that means you're going to pay half of their fee. So you might have a couple hundred thousand dollars out, you know, six to nine months before you ever are really beginning to, to realize any value from that. Uh, AV companies, they're, they're going to want you to pay significant deposits, um, you know, months before, before the event. Yes, there's ticket revenue that's coming in. There's sponsorship revenue that's coming in. So there's some times where you look really great. And then there's other times where you're like, ah, but in general, you know, nobody's getting paid anything. Nobody's taking any money out until that event happens because there's always the risk that, you know, what if we have a, a you know, what if, what if God forbid there's a, a terrorist attack? You know, what if there's, um, we, we held an event, one traffic conversion summit, we held an event in Orlando, Florida, in September one year, and we're shocked that we were able to get such amazingly great hotel rates. Well, of course, we're right in the middle of hurricane season. <laughs> right now, we dodged the bullet, but I mean, just barely. It, we had a hurricane hit right where our, by where our venue was, like a week after our event. Oh, had that come a week early, nobody would have shown up, right? Yeah. So anytime you're doing this, this type of event where um, even if the cash flow is there, you don't really get to keep it until you deliver on it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's an enormous number of expenses. And then you actually earn that money over the course of three days. Um, so that's why it, it, it was a little bit scarier of business com compared that to, uh, you know, a, an information business where somebody is just going to pay, like I said, 50, 200 and, you know, 50 to $300 a month. And it's just going to come in at the same time every month. And we're giving them access to bits and bytes of information through an online login. That cash flows much better. Yeah. Much, and much, much better. So, so cash flow and the risk tolerance associated with that you were definitely, it sounds like in terms of triggers that made you want to sell or think about selling, um, you, you know, the, the cash flow model of the event business was something that was giving you cause for. I literally had recurring nightmares leading up to the event. Really? 
that, that was when I knew we had to do something. I knew we knew that we had to de-risk the business a little bit. Um, you know, we had insurance and all kinds of other things, but I, I, for years, starting about 90 days out from the event, I would start to have the same recurring nightmares. Let's say if you're having recurring nightmares about your business, that's maybe a sign. It's <laughs> probably a sign. And it was a great, that was a thing. I, I, it's irrational. It was a great business. We hadn't had issues. When we had, we fixed them, right? It's like any business, but just, I was scared. I'll admit. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's great. It's great. It's great to hear. So what, what were the kind of recurring nightmares that never actually came to fruition? But what were some of the things you were worried about? Oh, I mean, the, the two that um, would come up, one is that I, I walk out on stage and there's like 13 people there. Right. in a room that's supposed to hold like 5,000, right? Right. Um, it, it's just that nobody shows up. Like that's yeah. the thing. And it's what yeah. do we do? And, and we're scrambling around trying to figure out, do we, you know, pay people, you know, give them 20 bucks to just come into the room so that it at least looks kind of full. Like what, and, and it's all these scenarios kind of going around. Uh, the other one, which funny enough happened one year, is that, because uh, I, I speak at the event too, uh, but the other recurring nightmare that's less about the business risk and more about just being humiliated is, um, they're calling my name. I can hear them calling my name, but I'm stuck in a stairwell. And that actually happened to me one year at TNC. I was trying yeah. to get from one side of the hotel to another. I got stuck in a hotel in a stairwell, couldn't get out, um, was late for my own talk. Oh. Um, and uh, it was awesome. the, the nightmare realized. But at, at that point, it was just kind of hilarious. So I, I, yeah. oh, it, it was more the, you hold this event, nobody shows up and you got to pay a bunch of refunds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you, you've, you come to the realization that something's got to give and, and then what's the next step at, at that point? You, you were talking about potentially raising money to separate the business out or maybe take us through the next steps. Well, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about raising money specifically for the event or to separate it out. Uh, I was going to raise money <clears throat> for digital marketer because okay. at this point, traffic and conversion summit was a product of digital marketer. It was a separate brand, but it was all kind of, you know, on the same it operated on its own P&L a little bit. Like we kind of kept a separate P&L because we had to account for everything in the event separately, but all rolled up into the same entity, mm-hmm. right? So I'm thinking, okay, let's go raise for digital marketers. So we're talking to PE groups, we're talking to banks, and they don't know where to put us because on one hand, we kind of look like a software company. On the other hand, we kind of look like, you know, e-learning. On the other hand, we kind of look like services. On the other hand, what's this event? And the people who really got software you know, wanted to value certain things one way and give us no credit for the other things. Mm. And the people who understood e-learning and the training services side really liked that. They thought the subscription was cool and kind of nobody liked the event. Everybody was like, that event scares me. Hmm. So we really weren't able to get what we, we weren't able to get the valuation that we felt the business deserved because we were not occupying an obvious category in the mind of an investor. This you is know, such an important point. You talk about so in your yeah. book. Like it's, yeah, it, it's, I don't have to tell this to you. I literally read this in your book. It's like, we have, we are not packaged. We're not built to sell. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't want to be cliche, but that's when I realized like we're, we're not built to sell. So it's like, we got to figure something out, you know, what to do with this, with this business. Had you, tell me about your relationship with your partners. Um, are, are you guys at similar kind of life stages, young kids at home, the kind of thing, or are they totally in different life stages of life? Yeah. Well, I know our listeners can't, um, people who are listening can't see me, but, um, God, I, you look terrible. I you, I'm incredibly young. <laughs> very good looking now. Um, yeah. So I'm, 
uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm 38 with four kids, uh, all fairly little kids. Uh, and my business partners, um, are older, older than me and, um, not like old, um, but older than me and their kids are pretty much grown. And so that was another challenge a bit with the event, right? So, cause if you think about scaling this event, especially scaling it internationally, now I'm going to be on the road more. So one of my partners who loves to travel, like he and his wife, their kids are all grown. He's like, this is great. Yeah. You know, let's go to Asia and Europe and this Barcelona. Is That's what you want in Europe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, that was the plan. Um, yeah. I'm thinking about, I can't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can't take my kids. I, I don't want to be away from my family. So lifestyle wise, it wasn't fit. What, I, what I'll say is, um, you know, my partners, we you know, one for all for one. So, they're like, we're not going to pursue a path to this business that's going to make you miserable, Ryan. And so that's why we just nothing changed. We're like, mm-hmm. we're content to allow this just to kind of grow organically and 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 to do it and and to do its thing. Um, so the first thing was let's maybe look to raise capital to scale to to grow. That wasn't really looking good, and it was kind of when we had sort of given up on that, and mm-hmm. we're just well, let's just let it be what it is. Which as a business owner, you don't like. Mm. you don't like yeah let's just linger in the same even if it's good you know now it's ordinary you know so none of us love that idea but i think the moment that you decide that you need to do something uh, again it's i don't want to get like woo woo on this or anything but um i I don't know if it's necessarily you're attracting things to you i think you just open your eyes and see what's Mm. what's around you so i think it was providential that you know a buddy of mine who also owned a, a, a similar event sold Hmm. Um, but also if, when I started looking, I realized events sell all the time. Hmm. <laughs> I, I was under the delusion that nobody buys events because the people that I was talking to from an investor standpoint, from a strategic part, none of them liked the event, hmm. right? They didn't like the event business. Cause I was talking to people who understood e-learning and services and software. They but didn't if you like take it event. as a discrete product and say, this event is what we do. There's a lot of then go talk to people who buy events, right? Which they're out there. So uh, oh. that, that's a big thing. It's just deciding that you want to do something and then pursuing the folks who actually want what you got. I, I'd love to get into that further and how you went about marketing the business. Before we do though, I wanted to come back to the branding because digital market is a great brand. And I realized the event started before the the digital marketing kind of company was christened that way. Um, maybe walk me through, was that, in, was that intentional not to, to, to couple the digital marketer brand and the tracking conversion summit brand? Did you, was it, it, it ended up being uh, a yeah. great end result, but was that thought, was it, did you think that through in the beginning? Yeah. So I've always thought about, uh, about, about brands as I, I want them to be able to, um, live on their own if they can. So I think about brands within companies as children, you know, at some point leave, I love my kids. Right. But at some point I want them to be able to go. So with, we have multiple profit centers within, uh, within our company. And I've always wanted them to be able to kind of stand alone. And if necessary to be able to be uh, exited, if, if, you know, if appropriate. So digital marketer is the overarching media brand are, um, our, our event is traffic and conversion summit, uh, our software solution that powers a lot of our learning stuff is called Praxio. So all these things live and exist, um, in their own different worlds. And, and so now what you create, as opposed to this one single dominant brand is you create this house of brands and they can all point at one another and say, oh, this is good. Um, so I've always adopted, I've always, you know, way preferred more 
kind of the media model. So if you look at Hearst, for example, they have Cosmopolitan and all these other ones. I like to I like to think about a brand as what market does this serve? And let's make sure that it can it can truly stand alone. Uh, I think one of the biggest mistakes that companies make when they acquire a business, especially if it's a good brand, is they kill that brand and they slap theirs on it. Right. Like, why not just let them both you can all the back of the house can be the same, you know, but why not leave that sign up? Why not leave up that facade? And so yeah, when we decided to launch um there was some discussion when we launched because um, we had traffic and conversion summit, then we launched digital marketer. So there was discussion about, should we rebrand the event to digital marketer live right. or, you know, DM this. And ultimately the decision that we, that we came to that I was, I was a proponent of was um, no, let's, let's let it stand alone and it'll be traffic and conversion summit presented by digital marketer. Cause in the early days we needed traffic and conversion summit, which was the better brand to prop up digital marketer. Hmm. In the latter days, digital marketer is the bigger brand because it just gets marketed year round. And now it's, oh, digital marketer is doing an event. So they can both help one another out. Whereas had we tried to smash them together, we wouldn't have gotten those, those benefits. And yeah, then when we ultimately exited um, the event and sold it, we were able to you know, still maintain the core value, the brand value of digital marketer, and also still maintain the alignment of those two brands as a part of the deal. Yeah. So I want to get into the deal itself. So you make the decision to market the, the, the event as a separate business in essence. Um, where does it go from there? What, what, how does the story unfold? So we, um, so I reached out to my buddy. I mentioned that he introduces me to, um, to one of the folks at, at Clarion and says, so he made a connection to us. And we just had the first meeting. You're looking at selling, not really thinking about it. You know, you kind of play that little cat and mouse game. <laughs> Um, and the truth is we didn't need to sell it, right? We didn't, we didn't have to sell it. And, um, so then they kind of got into, you know, I asked them, how do you value these things? They don't even know how they're valued. I understand how software companies are valuing some other stuff. And so he, he told me, and I went and did some, did my own research and looked around and, um, called some other folks that I knew who had, you know, who I knew, knew people who'd sold events and found out that, yeah, the multiple range that they were talking about. What is the multiple range for an event, by the way? Like what, what, what's, what did you hear about the, what? what folks buy and sell events for. Yeah, usually about six to eight on times, EBITDA. Times EBITDA, right. Yeah, usually about six to eight times EBITDA. Um, you can push outside of that range if you have the dominant industry event um, or if there's some kind of strategic tie-in. Like there's ways to, there's ways to push, push up. Um, you're lower than that if, you know, the event is relatively small or, you know, multiples, multiples will go down if just the overall size of the deal you know, is, is smaller. And, and I, I can't get into, you know, the sale price and, and the multiple that, that we paid. I can tell you that we were had a phenomenally great multiple. Um, we were very, very pleased um, with where it, it, it ended up. Um, right. And so that, and that was the nice thing in talking to them. Um, they, the timing was really great. Um, the company Clarion had recently been acquired by, or, or they, they were owned by one private equity group. They were then sold to, to uh, Blackstone, which is, I think top three private equity. One of the biggies, yeah. Yeah, one of, one of the biggies. So they had some capital to spend and they had a mandate to spend it. And um, they were looking at the, the category of marketing. Digital marketing is a, is a big category. And so fortunately, they were looking for what's going to be kind of our flagship platform event that we can grow others around. And they thankfully saw our event being really the largest sort of in um, North America as potentially being that. So... Um, conversation moved pretty quickly. 
we didn't do an open auction or anything like that. What we did do is float. So we had some other folks who had approached us mm -hmm. and we did basically say, want to let you know we're in active talks with this group. We are soliciting, you know, offers. We're going to basically sign a letter of intent on this date. You know, we'd love to hear kind of, you know, if anything else comes in, we did have some folks submit. Thankfully, they all came in in about the same range, but we mm -hmm. felt the best about Clarion, so we moved forward with them, but we did keep the other ones as backup offers. And, and the other offers as they came in, did they, were they kind of informal emails? Like, yeah, Ryan, we pay about six to eight times, even though, or was it more formal, like a written letter of intent, a kind of a more formal document? They were, so a little bit of both, it depended, because there were some folks that we talked to and had been talking to for years mm. that were interested in doing a deal uh, with Digital Marketer as a whole. Mm. And um, so we talked to them a little bit. And so with that, it was, you know, this is about where we would end up on that. But really, you know, if we did this, we would also want kind of first round of refusal and we'd want to deal in to eventually acquire Digital Marketer too, mm. which we didn't really want to do, don't really want to sell Digital Marketer. Um, and so, it, that was more informal. Um, and then I believe we had one that we talked to that, that, that submitted, uh, you know, more of a, you know, I don't want to say, you know, uh, you can only get so formal and non-binding letter of intent. Right. right? But, uh, yeah, but it was expression of interest or memo. Correct. Know, yeah. yeah, exactly. It was at least on, on a word file that had been converted to the PDF. Right. Got it. <laughs> and so what was the reaction of the ownership group, you and your two partners, when you got the formal offer from Clarion? I, you know, it's funny. We were all, we all operated under the assumption that it wasn't going to happen. Mm. Up until really the day when we got on the, on the, on the phone and, and did the, okay, you read this, you do this, okay, we're releasing the funds. Up until that moment, none of us, you know, mentally spent the money because I, I was afraid if I did it, like I had done the math. I knew that if this deal happened, it would be an amount that would get me to my number, right? I think everybody's kind of got like that number in the back of their mind that, mm -hmm. gosh, if, you know, if we, if I hit this, then I won't really need to work anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, so I knew that it was an amount that was going to kind of get me there really, really close to it if everything worked out. But I also know, I mean, I've been a part of enough deals uh, in, in the past where I've seen valuation, um, you know, multiples stay the same, but the thing that you're multiplying it by changed dramatically. So they're going to, you know, they're going to work your EBITDA or they're going to come back later and be like, oh, you know, I know we said this, but really the multiple can't be that. So I didn't want to mentally commit to a number. So we talked about that. We're like, this is what it is. Um, you know, would we be comfortable with this, you know, with this amount? And, and I'll tell you the first thing they sent over, we declined. We, we countered and went back and forth for a good long while. So we had a general sense in our mind of where it needed to be. Um, didn't really, you know, sway from that. Um, but once the number came in, it was, would we be kind of, if this goes through, are we, are we good to go? And we had to really think through, um, what, what is this going to mean for digital marketer, right? This is a platform that we benefit from. So what is it going to mean for some of our other companies? We didn't really have to think through, I think a lot of times when you sell a business, you have to process through, what does this mean for me? Like, what am I going to do the Monday after this sells? We didn't, I still knew I was going to come into the same office. I was going right. to come into the same work. We were still going to have digital marketer. Didn't really have that. So it was more, you know, strategically, there's a lot of risk here. What if they buy this and run into the ground? We have to assume that that could happen. What would that mean? So it was more talking through the scenarios and then also talking through with one another. Hey, if this happens, are we still going to be motivated to work on all the other stuff? Mm -hmm. And that was my biggest fear. Because hmm. we all said, yes, absolutely. We're excited about it. And we meant it. But in the back of my mind, I even remember talking to my wife um, and her saying, are you worried? 
that you're not going to have the same motivation and enthusiasm? You know, are you worried? And I had a best like, yeah, a little bit, you know? Um, but I, I, I was excited when, you know, the day after it happened, I just went back to work and nothing's really changed because I like the work. I love the work. I love the team. Um, I love what we're all about. And I'm excited that we have these new partners. But yeah, so I mean, the long answer to a simple question, that's what we talked about is what, if this happens, what would it mean? And then we all agreed, let's not talk about the money. Let's not mentally spend the money because if one of us gets overly committed to this mm. and, you know, or two of us gets overly committed and one of us thinks we shouldn't do the deal because something went sideways, we're going to resent one another for it. So let's make sure, let's agree now, if it goes through like this, we're all on the same page and we're going to do it. And if it changes, they throw something up, then we're going to blow it up. And, and did you have to stick handle through, because in your own admission, you're much younger than your partners at different stage. Like you got four young kids at home. That I'm glad we have that on the record, by the way. You're not going to stay young if you keep drinking whatever you're drinking. By the way. <laughs> it's water. Oh, okay. I promise like, it's like water. A, like a three liter <laughs> Red Bull. Uh, anyways. Um, um, yeah, exactly. Um, how did you guys reconcile the, the, the different life stage piece, because it's one thing uh, for a young guy with, you know, lots of, of runway left to go to, you know, get a check and keep, keep plowing on. But when you're a little closer to what people traditionally think of as retirement age, um, mm -hmm. there are different temptations, right? Like life is short. Maybe I want to travel. Like did, did you guys get into any of those conversations around? Yeah, we did. I mean, that's what we had to talk about. What does this mean? Now, mm -hmm. now thankfully, all of us, you know, me and my business partners, we're, we're different stages, but we're kind of at the same stage of life financially. I mean, mm. we've all done very, very well. Um, thankfully, we weren't in this position where we've been living kind of hand to mouth and needed to make this sale happen. Um, you know, we were running a very profitable company that was paying us very, very well. We didn't have any debt. So we were all in pretty good shape financially. I mean, was the amount that was coming in a life-changing amount of money? Yes. Was it going to fundamentally change our lifestyles? No, not really. Mm. But I still wanted to ask, you know, y'all still going to be game to work. Cause if not, um, one thing that I did say is I would be happy to take my proceeds and buy any of you out hmm. of the, the remaining business. And I just want to put that out there. I want it to be said. And so it kind of forced some really cool conversations about, well, what would that look like? Cause now I'm not saying it in the abstract. Now I'm saying it, you know, and they would say the same to me. Like, yeah, I do that to you. It's like, well, I don't want to do that. So we just had very, very, a very open dialogue about it. And, and we just agreed ahead of time. Let's be open. Let's throw out ideas. Let's not get offended. And let's make sure that we all stay on the same page. And, and that was really tough. I mean, there was at one point where um, they were coming back and, and they just, they, there were some no issues around non-compete mm -hmm. that I didn't think we were going to get through. And it was tough because we were happy to no longer do events, but you know, there were things that would limit our ability to really do anything live at digital marketer and you know, digital marketer is still a training company, right? We might still want to hold a, a small workshop here. And there. Sure. Um, we had other events that we held that weren't marketing related per se, but could be construed. So it's, do we, and we were just, we weren't getting past it. I mean, we were, we were stuck and um, they'd send some stuff over and we'd say, no, we'd counter, they'd say, no. And um, we had to get everybody on the phone. I mean, it was probably a, a, a it was a Zoom call with, I want to say, 12 or 13 people on it. Hmm. Four or five of them were attorneys. It was 
awful. And I'm at Disneyland with my kids. Like, not oh, even, no. this is terrible. I don't want to do any of this right now. But, um, but it got to, it got to a point where um, we had all agreed that if we couldn't still continue to operate out of the businesses, that it would be a no. And so we got done with that call, and um, they basically said, "No, guys, it has to be this. So you're out." And so we got on the call, and and I was like, "Okay, I can, you know, I can, I can get on without it, without this." Because remember, I'm the one with the recurring nightmares. You say I can get on without this, meaning I, I can live with the the non compete constraints. You're putting. I can live with the deal as they've structured it. Yeah, okay. I was ready to cave. Yeah. Um, and you know, one of my partners, Rome, was like, "Hey, we agree that this was the thing," and. And he also has more experience. He's had a lot of them. He's been a part of a lot of deals um, in the past, even prior to us being business partners. And he knew that, you know, that if we said, well, we're going to walk without this, that they'd give it to us. He didn't tell me that because he didn't want to get my hopes up. But, um, but he said, look, this is what we all agreed. And so, you know, I don't see any reason to change that. You know, we've got a great business. We've got a great event. It's profitable. We either meant that or we didn't. I said, you're right. You're right. So let's go back to them and say, you know, sorry, we need this or, or this is absolutely a deal killer for us. And, um, I remember seeing that email arrive, you know, he sent it and my partner sent it new, you know, being CC'd in my inbox, seeing it there and be like, well, there went that deal. <laughs> um, and hearing him come back and go, okay, you know, as long as you guys can do this and this and this, and you know, we feel good that you're not gonna do this. All right, we're fine. They're like, really? <laughs> but it was tested, right? So it was absolutely tested. So that, that happened one other time where I thought, I thought the deal was dead probably three or four times. What now, was the other trigger? There was another time where um, a, a, a decent chunk of revenue, they wanted to not count towards the valuation. And um, we were able to get them to count at least, they were right to, to a certain extent. Like, um, but it, we were able to get him to count to come our way enough to where it's like, okay, we can, we can slide on that. Um, and one of the other ones was in and around the earnout. So, cause they did want to have an earnout component to it and they wanted to um, extend how long it, how long it was. And uh, in, in that one, they basically wanted to make some of the earnout contingent upon the performance of the first event that we were doing together, just to make sure that we still showed up for that first event. Uh, and we wanted all of our money up front. And we wound up coming their way more than we wanted to, but it worked out. And I'll tell you, they're right. We were heavily motivated to crush it on that, on the, the most recent event that we did. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleased and proud to say that, you know, all the numbers came in the, uh, you know, we, we hit our, our number to get our full earnout, And so checks in the mail. That's great. But that was and, another time when I thought it might go. Yeah. And for folks listening, it might be helpful to know, what proportion of a deal they should expect to be sort of at risk in an earnout? I'm not sure if you're allowed to talk about that specifically in your deal or, or maybe just talk more generally about what's a kind of, you know, a reasonable expectation in terms of uh, being paid up front versus, uh, you know, at risk in an earnout. Yeah. So for us, it was about 80, 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and 80 the up front, 20, 20 on the risk. Yeah. 20 on, 20 on the risk on the earnout. Now, what was nice is, we closed the deal in, I want to say at the very end of September. And then the event was in, was the next February. So it was the next year, but it was less than 12 months away. Right. So we were, you know, and then, and then the actual payment after all the accounting went through was going to be, you know, six months after that. So 
you know, we weren't even gonna have to wait 12 months for that next little bit as long as we performed. And was that um, tied that was, to revenue of the event or margin or profitability? Yeah, great question. We were, we were insistent and thankfully they didn't push back, they understood, but we were insistent that it be tied to revenue because that mm -hmm. was the only thing that we were really able to control because they at that point were holding all the purse strings in terms of budget. And they thankfully wanted to spend more than we normally would, hmm. right? But from our perspective, we're like, you know, if you're going to hold us to a, hold us to something we can control. And so, um, gosh, and you know what, they might've even, I'm, I'm taking credit for, we were insistent upon this, but thinking back on it, I think they actually said, you know, I think that was actually, that, that was their counter. So when we came in and said, we don't want to have this much of an earnout, they said, we do, but we'll base it on a revenue, something you can tell not this, control. something that you can control, right? Yeah. Which is what I would say, if, if, if there's going to be an earnout. Make sure that it's not the kind of thing that you're going to get pencil whipped on or if, and by, I mean, pencil whipped, sorry, I'm using redneck lingo. Um, make sure it's <laughs> you are from Texas. So you're right. Exactly. Oh, it's it's make sure it's not the kind of thing that you believe you can hit it and they can accounting eyes their way out of actually paying you that. Cause if you do that, boy, not only did you not get paid, but you just, the company, the deal, the partnership, everything's just dead because you can't trust them at that point. Yeah. Um, so make sure it's something that you can control. Make sure it's something that's very clear and obvious. If this happens and we get paid, if this, then that, yep, okay, good. If it's not that, if it's not that clear, then just make sure that you are okay with the amount of money that you're getting as a guarantee. And I know for us, for me, you know, for my family, for my partners, we basically had to come to grips and we said, are, are we okay if we don't get any of this or not? Are we okay with that? Um, uh, can we still sleep at night? You know, can we not have resentment or regret? And the answer is yes. Right. One of the things that you shared earlier, I just wanted to make sure I followed up on was that um, I, I think if I'm, if I'm understanding your comments correctly, the original, the first offer did not meet your number, collective number that you all agreed you were willing to sell the business for. And so you said, you, you, you went back to them and said, that's not going to do it. Is, is that right? Correct. And, and, um, and I think it's important. We didn't just say, you know, it needs to be this. We said, we believe it should be this because we believe that um, for all these reasons, we're different and better. So we basically marketed it to them. So we said, you know, it's the number one event, you know, in the space, there's this potential and opportunity over here. But the other thing that we also said all along is, I said, look, y'all, we, we have a number that if it's not going to hit our number, then we're just not going to do it. To which they said, well, what's your number? To which I said, I'm not going to tell you. And I'd said it just like that. I said, why on earth would I tell you that? I remember talking, Doug was, was our person there who loved him, like great, like did really well. And he's like, so we got a number. I can tell you that where we are right now gets us there. Like that gets us to our number. And I said, look, and this isn't just money we want to put in our pocket. We want to use these funds to do some other things at Digital Marketer that are ultimately going to benefit the event. So, you know, making it clear that we got a number, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but we kind of need to be in this you know, in the ballpark of where we are right now to hit that number. When you said, frankly, when you said the ballpark of where we are right now, what were you referring to? Mar multiple EBITDA? Correct. Okay. Yeah. The, 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 EBITDA, the EBITDA multiple um, based on that. And I said, you know, and, and, and I also said, when, when it comes time for us doing it, like, you know, when your accounting firm comes in and you're auditing our stuff, you're going to have to show some grace on some areas. Because again, if we get below this number, it's going to be a pass. Yeah. yeah, it's going to, or you're going to have to come up with some way. And, um, and, and we, the, the nice thing is, is it was true. 
right? We didn't have to pretend it was, it had the added benefit of being true. Like the, what a crazy concept. And, uh, and so that helped us tremendously. So when, when you're talking to Doug and saying, you know, you've got this kind of multiple range in mind and for us to get our number, you know, the range of multiple needs to be in this area. Isn't that effectively the same thing as revealing to Doug what your number is? Cause he can obviously do the math and multiply <laughs> your profit by yeah. whatever multiple range. Uh, and I'm happy. I was happy for him to come up with a number in his mind, but it was going to be a number within a range. Okay. Um, I wasn't going to tell him expressly, nor was I going to tell him all the purpose and intent that we had for it. Got it. So, Got it. So uh, in his mind, he probably could have gotten within a million or two of the final number in your mind. Like he yep. could have probably triangulate around and go, okay, they're, they're probably thinking X and it was within. Yep. And, and at the very end, I think I came back and I said, look, you know, okay. I said, along with a number, the number is this, we need it to be this. Like when it came to this moment of just intractability, like let's just, this is what it is. So whatever we got to do to get it there, yeah. um, let's just get it there. Cause yeah, we're talking about multiples, but at the end of the day, it's going to be a number. So, yeah. um, and did you, reveal that, that that at the, did you reveal that at the point of letter of intent or during due diligence? At the very, very, very end. Okay. Yeah. So when everything else had been negotiated, we negotiated down to what class of airfare are <laughs> you going to get to, are you going to reimburse when we fly from, when we fly to London for meetings? Cause they're like, you know, coach, we're like mm -mm, business class. <laughs> You know, and actually we said we went first class and negotiated down to business class. Um, and so all those, all those little things that one of the biggest areas in negotiation was ensuring that digital marketer remained the presenting sponsor for at least five years. Cause I didn't yeah. want to lose that connection. I'm going to lose that, that platform. Fortunately, they wanted the same thing. I thought I was going to have to fight for that. And um, they were like, no, we want that. We, we mm. see the value that digital marketer has. We see how these connect together. Um, and so that, that worked out really, really well also. But no, it wasn't until the very, very, very end. That was that last card that I had to play. Hey, remember I said we had a number? All right, I'm going to tell you what it is. You got to get me there. Yeah. Um, last card played. Yeah, yeah, love it. But, but certainly not the first. Um, man, this is, such a, this is such a magical interview. I just, I'm thrilled with um, all of the, the wisdom you shared. I could do this for hours, but I'm not going to have that opportunity. <laughs> Let me ask you a couple more questions. Um, yeah. Uh, did you buy yourself a trophy? Was there anything that you did? I, I know you said it wasn't going to change your lifestyle materially, but did you do anything to sort of mark the, uh, the sale? I didn't. Um, I bought my wife, uh, there, there was a, a really nice bracelet that she'd been looking at and, uh, that was just a bit, just ridiculous kind of, you know, I knew she wanted, but it's like, you know, we're not going to do that. Um, I didn't because I didn't want anything in my life to change. So what I said is I'm not going to spend any of this money, um, for at least 12 months. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to do it. So I actually put it in, um, put it in a place where I, you know, can't get to it as easily. I mean, I can, right. It's my account, but, uh, but it's, it's no, I'm going to, I want it to sit there and, um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy. It. I want to, I want to still be me. I want to make sure that this doesn't change me. I was freaked out about that really mm. probably irrationally freaked out about it. So no, I still haven't really spent any of it. I, I, um, obviously, you know, tithed, you know, to my church and, um, made some other donations and kids school and stuff like that, that I, that I wanted to do, um, <laughs> set aside a big chunk for taxes but um, sent that off to the, to the government. 
But uh, no, no, I haven't spent anything. And that was intentional because I, di- I didn't want it to be the defining moment of anything. Mm-hmm. So when I'm trying to find the right way to ask this question, it sounds to me like perhaps there's part of you and going back to the recurring nightmares around the event, which I thought you were joking about, but, but, but you revealed literally yeah, not real. Joking. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a part of you, Ryan, that, that likes covering your downside that likes the, likes the freedom to know that you've got your, your foot on the ladder of success and that nothing, no matter what can take you off that rung. Um, is there a part of you that's motivated by that sense of security? Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I've, I, I like to think of myself as the, the entrepreneur who's, you know, the swashbuckling kind of thing, but now I'm all about, you know, I don't want to go backwards. Mm. I don't like losing money. So I don't gamble. I don't like losing money. Um, I like, I, I don't, I don't invest in markets really. You know, I, because the idea of, of money being over there and it being lost, and I don't mind losing money if I screwed up. Like, I've lost, don't get me wrong, I've lost lots of money. Right. I've invested millions of dollars in, uh, you know, in, in companies and lost it all. But to me, it's like I learned um, it sucked, but at least it was my fault. I know, I know it was me to blame. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do. I, I do. I think it's a really good observation. I do absolutely want to make sure that like, yep, I've reached this place and I just want to kind of, kind of kick it there. And I don't want to change. I'm, I'm the guy who could eat the same bowl of cereal every morning, you know, <laughs> been happily married to the same woman for 16 years. Right. Don't have any intention of changing that. Uh, thanks. Yeah. So it, it um, so I, I think it's a, I think it's an astute observation. Um, and, and for me, it was, what I wondered is, now that I have this, will that make me, you know, more apt to like dive into things? Will it make me more aggressive? And the answer is no. Hmm. And I think I, I, if I'm being honest, and which is always a good idea, but if I'm being made, made more introspective is hmm. I guess a better way to, to say it. Um, part of the reason that I didn't want to celebrate the sale is I didn't, I wanted to make sure that I, was, I wasn't a different person. I wanted to make sure that it wouldn't change me. At the same time, uh, I almost resented the fact that I never really celebrated it. You know, nothing, nothing really happened. It was just kind of, you know, life's usual. So if I had to do it all over again, um, I would have loved to have, you know, all of our partners gotten together and at least marked the moment, like got together because we live in different cities. So I would have loved to have gotten together, clinked some champagne glasses and just marked the moment. And we failed to do that. And I believe that that was a mistake. So I'm not, um, I'm not saying that I wish I would have gone out there and like bought a Lamborghini or something like that. Um, because I don't uh, wish I would have done that, but um, but I do wish that I would have done a better job of marking the moment. And I do think that a lot of what drives me is this desire for um, for stability and security. Maybe that's season life, right? Wife and four kids, you know, wanting to make sure that I can be a good provider. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it's just uh, I'm good. You know, I'm good. I've got a great life, and um, I don't want for a lot. I enjoy the work. Uh, I enjoy the people that I work with and, and I like that we now get to do it bigger and better um, because from the event side, we've now got a phenomenal partner who they're the one, they're willing to write checks to Richard Branson. They're willing to fund events, you know, in 2020 and in, in next not yeah next year in um, New York and uh, Amsterdam and, you know, Southeast Asia, right? They're willing to do that. I like that it's happening, but I like that I don't have to take the risk to do it. I like with digital marketer that we can grow that with, you know, Praxio and some of our other software companies that this cash flow that was going towards the event can now grow to fund that. Like, that's what I'm excited about. I enjoy the work. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. I, uh, I'm so grateful for you to sharing the, the story with us and spending the time with me. What's the best way for folks if they wanted to reach out to, uh, to learn more about either Digital Marketer or uh, Traffic and Conversion Summit? Maybe point to some URLs or maybe, I don't know if you accept LinkedIn connections or what's the best way to reach out? Yeah. Yeah. So for me personally, um, LinkedIn is great. I mean, I think that's how we got connected, right? Yeah, uh, I think that's right. Yeah. And, and Dice yeah. is spelt a little, a little uniquely. It's D-E-I-S-S. D-E-I-S-S. Yeah, uh, it's German. So when two vowels go walk and the second one does the talking, it's like Weiss. <laughs> Do that more um, slowly for me. When two vowels go walk and the second one does the talking. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what my family taught me growing up. So, um, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm Ryan Dice, R-Y-A-N-D-E-I-S-S at Twitter. So Twitter and LinkedIn are my favorite. So awesome. if you at me on Twitter, I'll definitely see that. Um, feel free to, yeah, connect with me. Um, I get a lot of connection requests on LinkedIn, and most of them are um, weirdos, strangers, and salespeople. Um, yeah, you and, accepted so, mine, which is crazy. Yeah, I have all the respect in the world for you. You're my kind of weirdo. Um, but uh, no, so please reference that like you heard me on this podcast or, or that, you have, that you know who I am and that you're not just trying to sell me your service because unfortunately LinkedIn's gotten a little spammy. Um, but yeah, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Let's chat there. Twitter, uh, as far as digital marketer, just digitalmarketer.com. It's digitalmarketer.com, not digital marketing. So digitalmarketer.com. And uh, yeah, if you're into marketing and you got happy people that you are, Send them out to Traffic and Conversion Summit. It's trafficandconversionsummit.com. It's a phenomenal event. Lots of fun. I won't make as much money uh, off of the ticket um, if they come as I used to, but I can tell you it's still well worth it. So There you go. Well, listen, Ryan, it's great to have you here. Thanks again. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at Facebook.com slash Built to Sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.